0: This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my new podcast, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. I was able to interview a lot of experts, and I met some very interesting people, in addition to some experts who I had known a long time. And one of the people I met is my guest today on this podcast. His name is Trevor Loudon. He's a New Zealander who now lives in Florida, not too far from me. And he is an expert on national security, especially having to do with terrorists, communism, and radicals, and how they are infiltrating the culture and the church. And I was told I should track him down because I was working on a chapter in the book, God, Trump, in the 2020 election, on why Trump might lose and I was just fascinated with it and got to know Trevor by telephone and find out a little bit about how he makes movies and lectures and is really an expert. And recently, he sent me a link about how the communists are trying to flip Florida, which really caught my attention, of course, because I live here in Florida. So I wanna welcome you to my podcast, Trevor, and maybe we could start by talking a little bit about what is in this book and the chapter, Why Trump Might Lose. And you told me about something called the Freedom Road Socialist Organization uh, that was trying to do a repeat of Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition from the 1980s. And then we can kind of take it from there because you gave me some other interesting information. But can you explain to my listeners what the Freedom Road Socialist Organization is and what was it that they were taking from Jesse Jackson?
1: Yeah, well, thanks very much, Steve, and uh, thanks for the opportunity too, by the way. Um, Well, Liberation Road, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, to further confuse things, just changed their name to Liberation Road recently, and I'll call them Liberation Road, but what they are is a Maoist communist group, and they're nationwide. They've got a few thousand members, and they work heavily in politics and the Democratic Party. And they are also the people who gave us Black Lives Matter, for instance. That's their creation. And the people who ripped down Confederate statues in the South, etc. But anyway, back in the 80s, Jesse Jackson ran for president twice in 84 and 88. And the second time, I think he got second in the Democratic primary and won several states. And he ran on a rainbow coalition strategy, and that was you get all the colors of the rainbow together to make a progressive majority. That is, you get the progressive white people, progressive black people, progressive brown people, Asian American for the yellow stripe, Native American for the red stripe, the environmentalist for the green stripe, the lavender for the gay stripe. And this is his terminology. So you get all the minorities together to make a majority. But in those days... And he did very well with that, far better than most people expected. But in those days, ethnic minorities or people of color, as they call them now, were about 12% of the population. Now they are 38%. So his strategy was way, way before his time. Now, the people behind Jesse Jackson were the same people behind Barack Obama. They basically elected him on a rainbow coalition strategy of uniting all the progressive minorities together. And that only fell apart because they foolishly ran Hillary Clinton in the next election, and a lot of the black votes stayed home. So Freedom Road, or Liberation Road, they've got a front group in Virginia called New Virginia Majority. Now, Virginia is now a blue state. It's a Democrat state. It was once reliably Republican and conservative only a few years ago. Well, for 10 years, they've been working in that state through their front group, New Virginia Majority, to sign up about 300,000 new minority voters and worked with the governor of that state, Terry McAuliffe, to legalize 200,000 felons and allowed them to vote. Now, those extra voters are what flipped Virginia. Well, Liberation Road has, and these people are pro-Chinese communists. They, they're working off Jesse Jackson's strategy. A lot of them were in Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition. They have a group called the New Florida Majority, which is also signing up hundreds of thousands of black and Latino minority voters in the suburbs of Jacksonville and Miami and Tampa, etc. And they are the people behind the referendum in Florida in 2018, which gave 1.4 million felons the right to vote in this state. And they're out there right now busily signing them up to vote. Now, Donald Trump won Florida by 20,000 votes, something very narrow. Now, you can see the implications of 1.4 million felons voting and hundreds of thousands of minorities going to the polls that didn't previously go. Their target, Liberation Road, working for the Chinese, is basically to take North Carolina and Florida in the next election for the Democrats, guaranteeing that Trump will lose. Now, you gotta understand the Chinese do not like Trump. And their choice is this, do they get in a massive trade war with him and lose billions of dollars? Do they get in a big shooting war with him And lose trillions and maybe their own lives? Or do they spend a few million dollars in America encouraging their local communists to flip a couple of states and defeat them that way? What would you do if you were a Chinese leader?
0: Well, you know, this is very interesting. It's not something we hear very much. And there are those who say this is a conspiracy theory.
1: How do you answer that? Well, I go by facts, you know, I just released an article how the pro-Chinese communists flipped Virginia, and they boasted on their website that they did it, and I put the screenshot there, and they boasted they gave Terry McAuliffe, the governor, an award for legalizing 200,000 felons at their annual dinner. They boast about this stuff, I have the evidence nobody puts it together. One of the leaders wrote an op-ed in the New York Times the day after they won Virginia, telling everybody how they did it. The only thing she didn't say is that she was part of a group run by pro-Chinese communists. They just pretend to be community organizers. And I read their websites. I put the screenshots online. They're open about what they do. The only thing they covert about is their Chinese affiliation. And you can find that out with a little bit of digging.
0: Now, I put a lot of this in my book, thanks to you. And I learned a lot of things and was very careful to document it. And one of the things that I learned was the name Steve Phillips, who plays a very important role in the Democratic Party's new strategy. And you compared him to Saul Onisky, who is well known for his book, Rules on Radicals, who apparently had an influence on both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And tell me again what you told me when I wrote the book about Steve Phillips, who he is and what book it was that he wrote that you feel is so influential right now in their strategy.
1: Yeah, well, look, Steve Phillips, he was a member of the Rainbow Coalition. He was a member of the League of Revolutionary Struggle, which was a pro-Chinese communist group, which later dissolved and folded into Freedom Road, socialist organization now called Liberation Road. So he was a Maoist, openly a Maoist, Marxist, Leninist. When he left Stanford University, he married a very rich woman. She was an heiress to the Golden West savings and loan fortune, and that's $2.6 billion. And her parents were leftists, and they put a whole bunch of money into the progressive movement. They fund Center for American Progress, ProPublica, and multiple Democratic candidates. Well, Steve Phillips arranged for the initial $10 million that got Obama ahead of Hillary Clinton, for instance. So he's very influential, and he's now part of the Democracy Alliance, which is Tom Steyer, George Soros, and about 150 left-wing multimillionaires and billionaires who fund the Democratic Party and various Marxist radical groups, ballot initiatives around the country, etc. And so what Steve Phillips says is that, look, Democrats forget about the middle. He's written a book. Brown is the new white. It's their Bible, Bible of the Democratic Party. Endorsed by Obama, endorsed by Pelosi, and he says this: Democrats forget the middle. He says demographics have so changed in this country that 23% of the electorate are now progressives of color, loyal, locked-in Democrats. 28% are white progressives, loyal, locked-in Democrats. 23 plus 28 is 51%, the new American majority. Don't waste billions trying to get 1% or 2% in the middle to slip from one party to another. Put all of that money into mass voter registration drives in the southern and southwestern states where there are large minority populations who lean Democrat but don't normally vote. Now, by doing that and putting money behind Andrew Gillum in Florida for the governor's race, they lifted the Democrat vote by 40% and came within a whisker of winning Florida for a Marxist. Similar thing happened in Georgia. They almost won Georgia and they almost beat Ted Cruz in Texas with Beto O'Rourke. And they have flipped Virginia and almost flipped Arizona and almost flipped North Carolina using these strategies. Tennessee is in the gun as well. But the big ones are Florida and North Carolina and Arizona. And they are working hard. So Steve Phillips is providing the money and the guidance. He has basically updated the Rainbow Coalition strategy to make elections all about race and all about minorities. That's what it's all about, and they're using these racial minorities to win races for the Democratic Party, particularly in the South, and they basically believe that if they do this in the next election, they will have a lock on America that will never be broken, never, and especially if they then legalize 22 million illegal immigrants, which now live in this country, which will give the Democrats another 15 or 16 million voters. So, pro Chinese communists are basically the biggest enemy of Donald Trump in the country. They are the ones who could beat him. And they are funded, they are mobilized, and the American public has no idea whatsoever.
0: And of course, I documented this, quoting information that you gave me and also that I dug up in other places. And I hope that this information will make people want to look deeper into it by reading God, Trump in the 2020 election. I felt it important to allow you to say it in your own words rather than me trying to put words in your mouth or even quoting from the book, which cites you as one of the major sources. But the book was finished right around Labor Day. And as I wrote in my epilogue, the talk about impeachment, especially about the Ukraine had just started and there was no way I could predict the future. There was no way I could predict who would get the Democratic nomination. So it wasn't so much about those specifics, because I took the attitude, this is my opinion, and of course I put it in the book, that it sort of didn't matter who gets the Democratic nomination, they're equally bad, and these strategies continue regardless. But, you know, I said, I was trying to deal with, in the book, with bigger issues, including the spiritual aspect, what Donald Trump is like as a person, what he's accomplished in his first couple of years and so forth. But I want to ask you about the impeachment because that has all come up and culminated, of course, in this recent vote in the House of Representatives. So he is now the third president in history to be impeached, which only is like an indictment. It is not a final sentence, but a lot of average Americans... Yes, the laying
1: of charges,
0: basically, isn't it? Right. But a lot of people just assume that the word means that he did something wrong and he's guilty and he's out of office. So I want to ask you what you think about this whole impeachment charade, I'll call it, and how you think that that will affect the election in fall of 2020.
1: Yeah, well, look, look, I think the Democrats clearly want to drag this out. There's two dangers here. One, if it gets into the Senate, I just don't trust certain Republicans not to betray the president, to be honest. You know, I do not think it's beyond the realms of possibility that enough deals would be done to actually ambush the president in the Senate and remove him. I think that's possible. But I think the main thrust of this was two main thrusts. A, this is to drag things out and discredit and tie up the president and damage him as much as possible to make it easier to beat him in 2020. Just drag his name in the mud, tie him up, like what happened with Clinton. You know, when Clinton was impeached, it basically stalled his agenda. You know, it tied him up for a couple of years and nothing could get done. And even though he wasn't impeached, it still had a big effect.
0: No, he was impeached, he wasn't convicted.
1: Yeah, he's impeached, but he wasn't convicted, sorry, yes. It was most likely what's gonna happen with Trump, but the damage is still done by the tarnishing of one's name. The other thing it does, you know, I think the Democrats are freaking out about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She could leave the Supreme Court any day, and they want a damaged president under impeachment so they can say, well, we will not accept, we will oppose, you know, not allow any president under impeachment to nominate a Supreme Court justice. You know, because they're freaking out at the fact that they could get a real conservative in there and the conservative side would have a 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court. That is just terrifying them. It should elate us, but it's terrifying them. So I think the impeachment is partly motivated by that as well.
0: You know, I personally think that Donald Trump is going to be reelected. I say that in the book. I don't emphasize it, but I don't hide my opinion. But I also recognize that he might lose which is why I wrote that chapter that quoted you. The stuff that's been happening has been happening for a long time. I mean, Soloniski, I'm guessing that was around 1970 or so when he was influencing Hillary. Then in the 80s, it was Jesse Jackson, as you pointed out. And there are a lot of other things that we could cite. I think that Donald Trump is a disruptor and he's causing people to wake up to things and say enough is enough, you know, kind of like the conservative heartland of people that sometime maybe vote Democrat or maybe they're more liberal on social issues or whatever, but they're kind of waking up. And I see that happening with this impeachment where even people that I consider to be fairly liberal are just saying, this is not fair. The presidency cannot be something where the other party gets in power, they get enough votes, they can call anything they don't like an abuse of power because of course it's going against them. And then if the president doesn't cooperate with them trying to get him out, then that's contempt of Congress or I guess obstruction of Congress. And I, to me, it's like the Democratic Party is almost imploding, yet you're pointing out very specific things like getting felons to vote. It's almost certain former felons are going to vote Democratic, it's almost certain That illegal immigrants who, you know, barely speak English, don't really know our system, and are told the Democrats will take care of you, they love you, the Republicans hate you, and, you know, they'll just vote Democratic for no other reason than that. And so these are demographic things that are very serious, but it seems to me that the impeachment is going to hurt the Democrats rather than help them, but I want to know your opinion.
1: Well, yeah, look at Kavanaugh hearings. You know, we we thought they were going to damage the Democrats, and I think they did. But the Democrats still swept the House straight afterwards. But
0: it probably kept the Senate with the Republicans.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you lose some, you gain some out of it. I think there's a general disgust out there, and among many Democrats as well, about the unfairness of this.
0: But Kavanaugh was in the Senate. Several of the people that opposed Kavanaugh were swept out of office. Claire McCaskill of Missouri, replaced by Josh Howley, is an example. In the House, I think they kept the House because of the Mueller investigation, which was like a huge cloud. Mueller already knew that there was nothing, but he waited, what, Six months after the election, to give his nothing, you know, report, which was debated for a long time, but even they've dropped that. They don't even bring that up anymore.
1: Yeah, I think the Democrats would probably rather they hadn't started this, but now that they have, I think they feel that they to save face, they have to go through with it. So it could lose Trump a lot of votes. It could gain him a lot of votes. Right now, I think it's helping him, but I would just rather it was done and gone. We could settle on real issues. But the whole message, and I think the reason you put that chapter in the book, Steve, is don't take this for granted. There are forces that we do not understand. You know, you talk about Russian collusion. The Chinese are interfering in our elections. The Chinese have just flipped Virginia. The Chinese almost elected a governor in Florida and another one in Georgia last year, you know, These are big, powerful forces with a lot of money, and we cannot be complacent. If we get all of our base out, we will win. But if our base thinks Trump's got it in the bag, it's all right, we don't have to worry, I'll just have a holiday this election, we will lose.
0: I agree with you 100%. And complacency on our side is one of the reasons why Trump might lose. And I'm very concerned about that because there are a lot of people who I know who think that there's like no way, you know, a socialist, a leftist would get elected. None of the candidates, including Bloomberg, who just jumped in, have excited the Democratic electorate. Unlike Trump, who generated excitement from the time he came down the escalator. I mean, it took him a while to get the nomination, but very clearly he was out in the front. And it was not up and down like you see with Elizabeth Warren and, and even with Biden. So anyway, it's going to be very interesting to watch this.
1: Well, I just thought to add one more little thing on that. Yeah, like Trump's got the charisma and the oomph, which is great. And I love him for it. You know, all the Democrats are basically losers at the top. But it's not just the presidency. We need to take back the House and we need to keep the Senate. There's going to be no point re-electing President Trump if we lose a couple of Senate seats and we don't take back the House.
0: Because they've already said they're going to impeach him again.
1: Yeah, well, ex- exactly. You know, so we've got to win, aim to win this by 20 points and then we'll probably win by three. You know, but if we aim to win by five points, we're going to lose.
0: Well, that's good insight. And I really appreciate what you're doing. And one of the reasons I wanted to include you in the book was to call attention to your very important work. And I'll just wrap up this podcast of God, Trump and the 2020 election and encourage people to find the book. The easiest way, of course, is online. That's the quickest way, at least, on barnesandnoble.com or christianbooks.com or of course, amazon.com, but it's also available everywhere Christian books are sold, and particularly in Walmart and Sam's. They both took huge numbers of copies, and I am hope this is my attempt to try to get Christian people to wake up and to get to the polls and not be complacent, and I think that thank God we have people like Trevor on our side to help bring some clarity to what's really going on. So thank you again, Trevor, for being with me today on my podcast.
1: Well, a pleasure. And everybody read the book. You've got to read the book because this is the most critical election of our lifetimes. This is going to decide everything we hold dear. And Steve has done a great job with this. It'll give you insight like you haven't seen anywhere else.